So we're going to try to wrap up most of chapter, no we won't, we're going to try to get through verse uh, 17, which is identical to what I said last week, and here we are again, so there's that. Um, but last week, if you'll remember, um, golly, where do we start? We started in verse 5, and we kind of walked through, um, and let's just start in verse 5, let's just start right in this, because I, I feel like we have a lot to cover today. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. This is Paul speaking to the church, the Christians in Colossae, trying to encourage them um, towards maturity. And he's moved, he's moved from theology into practice. And so um, here's what he says. Uh, now start in verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's a reference to the future second advent. Verse 5. And if you remember, uh, verse 5 started where, the, where Paul and the scriptures give us permission to be, to be violently opposed to some things. Not physically, you know. Um, but part of being alive in Christ means that we also put these things to death. Okay, we don't, we don't make friends with them. We don't rationalize them. And the example we used last week was, if you'll remember, it's, it's, it, these are the things that are trying to kill you. And I'm not being melodramatic. If you know me, I'm not, I, I don't say something unless I mean it, right? And so the example we used was, if someone uh, lived out in the, in the woods and they see a little baby bear cub and they invite it in, this thing's adorable and they can control it for a little while and it's not a huge threat. But over time, what happens to that tiny bear cub? Pretty soon it's going to be a 600 pound grizzly and you are going to end up on television on when animals attack without question. But this is what we do uh, with these kind of sin patterns in our lives as we invite them in and we rationalize and we say, hey, it's okay, I've got it under control, I've got it under control, and eventually it will own us, okay? And we said, um, one of the phrases we used was, we either put those things to death, or we either, we're either killing sin or they're killing us, okay? And I'm not being overly dramatic here, okay? Um, and this is why the, the first words in verse 5, Paul says, put to death. And so last week we talked about the seriousness of some of these things, some of these sin patterns in our lives, and don't forget He's speaking to believers, okay? He's not trying to talk them into becoming Christians. So do not get those backwards. Don't, if you don't hear anything else, don't get those backwards. That if your life is in Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, hey, then this is what it's probably going to look like, right? If you have been made a new creation, a new creature, this is what it's probably going to look like in your life. It is not start looking like this in order to become a new creature. Do you see the difference there? Okay, don't get those backwards, because if you get those backwards, you will live a life under condemnation, and you'll live a life um, uh, uh, under, under your, essentially you're going back to the Old Testament law, right? Um, anyways, verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these anger rage malice slander and filthy language from your lips verse 9 do not lie to each other since you have since you have 
taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And in verse 11, he says, Here there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And that's, that's Paul's way of saying that whatever your go-to identity is, he says that's no longer your identity. And so that's a good reminder there. And, and these are the examples he uses, you know, that... <coughs> Um, he, in his context, he says Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. And so what we've, we've talked about is that go-to identity that we all have, right? Maybe it's something that you grew up under. Maybe it's your career now is that in the gospel, uh, Paul says, Jesus says, the New Testament teaches, that's no longer who you are. Now, this is very countercultural because in our culture, almost 10 times out of 10, Anytime you meet someone new, what's the question you ask them? What do you, after you get their name, you say, what do you do? And in in our culture, we attach our identity with doing. We do. And it's it's ingrained in us. This is even, golly, think of this with children. and uh, Kids, I, I wish I could fight for them. But even when kids are this, you know, when they're starting getting this old, what do we start asking them about their future? What do we say? We say what? What do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm trying to teach my daughters that when someone asks them that, they go, I'm, I'm going to, my daughters are Ellabel and Rosalyn. Honestly, that they'd go, what do you mean? What am I going to be? I'm going to be Ellabel. What am I going to be? I'm always going to be me. Are you asking how I'm going to make money? Oh, well, I want to be a vet or I want to be a nurse. You, you know? But even from a tiny age, we start ingraining this in people that your identity is in what you do, not whose you are. And that lie is fed to you every single day, right? Um, starting in middle school, uh, it starts there that as soon as you go into sixth or seventh grade, you're immediately starting to get fractured into your groups, right? If you hang out with middle schoolers and start talking to them, the question is always, when, when they approach each other, it's always, I want to know your identity. Uh, what sport do you play? Are you in band? Are you in choir? Are you in, and, and it's this, uh, they're trying to place their identity in what they do. And I say they, and we've all been there, right? Same thing in high school. You, what, where's your identity? A common question is, what's your class rank? Are you number seven? Are you number 22? I have no idea what my class rank was because it would have been very depressing for me, okay? But you can see this, and then even we go to college. When you meet, do you remember being in college? The first thing when you meet someone, what do you do? What's your major? Like, we're trying to, we're, when we're trying to learn about someone, we put all these things on them. Hey, I want to know your identity. I want to know what you do. I want to know what you're studying. When the reality is just, hey, tell me about you. And w- <coughs> Um, this is interesting. Start looking for this. Is to this day, even with adults, if you go up to an adult and you and you say, "Hey, tell me about you," almost every time they will tell you things that they do. Right? They'll say, "Oh, tell me about you." Um, well, this is my job. Um, this I like to watch movies. Um, I like to uh, work on cars. Um, this is where the house we live. And there have been times, and it never gets a very good response. So I need to stop doing it. Russell's not great at social cues. There, there have been times where I'll say, you didn't tell me anything about you. You've, you just told me what you did. I want to know, tell me about you as a person. What, you know, what are you, what are you proud of? 
What do you love? What do you hold dear? What are you afraid of? And those are deep questions. This is why I scare off a lot of friends, by the way. Uh, it's a joke in our house. Talk to Kinsey about it. Like, I, I have this, I immediately go from zero to 80, you know, of like, I want to know you, and it scares off a lot of people. Um, and then also, uh, for many people at the end of life, do you know right now the number one age and sex of suicide rates? It's men ages 65 to 75 in the United States. Did you all know that? That's number one. That's number one. Why is that? What happens at 65 years old? Retirement. And so you're talking from the time people are this age to the time they retire. It is ingrained in us. You are what you do. You are your accomplishments. You are the amount of money you make. And this is, we can see it, unfortunately, that that's for the first time ever Men, ages 65 to 75, when they hit retirement, now think about this, they have lost their identity, and, and they have lost their purpose, and I'm not saying I agree, but I'm saying I understand, if we don't have an identity and a, and a purpose, honestly, why, why should we stick around, right? That's hard to say, and I'm not saying I agree, um, but I'm saying we can see the symptoms of this, right? Are y'all with me, right? And, and this is why the gospel teaches over and over and over, your identity is not what you do, your identity is whose you are. And that can never be taken uh, from you. With, the, <coughs> with our, the youth group, we meet every other Wednesday night at the Schneider's house. Thank y'all. Shout out to the Schneider's. Woo! Yeah. They, we've, which, wow, that was, that was good. Sheesh. Uh, we've started a, a, a Bible study, and it's, it's uh, led by Tim Tebow in video, not in person, so that, I, let me clarify that. Um, but anyways, it, and the first, yeah, the real shout out. Uh, last week, we started the first video, and it, it talks about identity, and I'll, it just, he says, for many people, when you think of Tim Tebow, you think of Heisman, you think of NFL for a short term, and he said one phrase, and it hit me, and he says, if my identity is being a football player, he says, I don't have an identity anymore right? That's the summary right there. Like, that's the world we're in. If my, because I don't know if you know, he played for a while, and then he got cut, and he doesn't play anymore. But there were years, years, and even now, if you say Tim Tebow, what does everybody think? Football, right? And, but he says, man, and that, I, that has stuck with me. If my identity is in what I do, when that thing is taken from me, I, ha- I have no identity, none, and I have no purpose. Um, anyways, what, what verse were you on? Sorry, the, all that was um, verse 10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, the image of its creator. Verse 11. Oh, here's the whole reason I brought that up. Sorry. Here there's no Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised. And so point being, you remember Paul says, anything that's your go-to identity, it's not, it's not that anymore. That's just stuff you do. Um, and what we did was we looked at John chapter 5. We've looked at it for several weeks. And it's that story of, you remember it's the guy that's, uh, paralyzed, and he's sitting by the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus comes up, and, and Jesus looks at me and says, do you want to be healed? And what we've mentioned is we said, that's, that's a stupid question. That's a stupid question. Unless you recognize that some of us, we put our identity in our brokenness. Okay? And, and so I've even been reading that, is that sometimes we'll read that, those, those words of Jesus and he says, do you want to be healed? And, and really, what if we read it like this? Because this is what I think he was saying. And this was very personal. And what we've been talking about for the past couple weeks is what if we read it like this? If Jesus says, do you even want to be healed? 
Do you, in, in this one area, this dark corner of your life, it's this thing that you're holding on to. And Jesus looks at this guy and says, do you even want to be healed of that? And, and one of the questions we ended with last week was, if we're honest, Sunday morning, 1035, I know that's tough for us. If we're honest, if Jesus said, uh, came up to us and there's certain areas of our life that he said, bro, do you even want to be healed of that? If we're honest, I think some of us would look at him and say, uh-uh, because I've put my identity in, in part of this brokenness, you know? And, and so a, a struggle I can, I can relate to and go through with is like, um, and again, this might get personal, and I don't ever want to make this my personal counseling session, um, but I've struggled with uh, depression for like, uh, like 10 or 12 years. Man, you name a pill, I've taken it, for real. I've had doctors here, I've had doctors in, in Dallas, the best you can find, um, and and. There's a struggle. Here's, here's the thing, is when people find that out, you know what I can use that as? I can use that as an excuse. Are you following me? Is I can be labeled with mental disorder, whatever you want to call it, and I can, if I choose, I can hang on to that into where if I'm going through a difficult time or if I don't want to help be held responsible for some things, it's possible that I can wave my, my depression label and what will people do? They'll excuse me from responsibility of certain things. Are y'all following me on this? This is just my example. And, and this instance that if we're honest, there's got to be parts in our heart uh, where Jesus says, do you want to be healed of that? And we, hold on, and we can hold on to it and say, I don't know if I do. Because with that label, people treat me a certain way. And sometimes I'm forgiven or not uh, given responsibility, you know. Or, or another one, and this is me too, is I, man, I have been hurt by the church. I have been burned by Christians way harder than I've been burned by non-Christians. And I know I'm not the only person in this room. And this is a question that that's something that if I choose, I can hold on to that. And to where Jesus comes along and he can look at us and say, hey, do you want to be healed of that? And to be honest, some of us don't. If we're being honest, why? Well, because I can use this as an excuse to never get close with people again. Are you following me? You know, or maybe my dad didn't love me enough, or your mom left, or anything, right? And Jesus says, I, I'm offering healing. Do you want to be healed? But we have to say yes, Are you, you know? And so, and, and I even, we ended with uh, saying, God's not a divine rapist. He doesn't force his will on you. He won't. He doesn't, he doesn't work that way. He says, I'm offering healing. Do you want, do you want to be healed, right? Um, and that's where we kind of ended uh, last week. And then uh, look in verse 12. We'll start there. Uh, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it 
all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father uh, through him. And so I want to point out something here. Let's just look through that list. Look in verse 12. Um, he talks about compassion, kindness, humility. Verse 13, he says, bear with each other. He says, forgive each other. Um, he says, put on love with one another. He said, uh, be thankful. He said, as you, as you teach, as you admonish. Do you notice that Paul says, hey, these things, I want you to put off these things. And then he says, these things I want to put on. Do you notice these things he's putting on are impossible to do in isolation? Do you see that list? Look again. These things that he's, he's pushing Christians towards is they can not be done by yourself, right? Can you show compassion to yourself? I, I don't know. I guess you can. Can you admonish? Everything here in this list is he's pushing them towards one another. This is why here uh, one of the, the biggest things we preach is gospel community, right? We believe that forgiveness is found at the cross and that Jesus offers healing in his church, Okay? And we want to be a place of healing. Okay? Um, and so what I want to point out here and talk about for a few minutes is that Paul, this list he gives, this is designed to be done in community. So let me say three things here, first of all. Um, number one, and all you have to do is just be observant and look around, is that people are starving for connection. Do you guys see this in, in life? Do you see this in world in the world? People are, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not overstating it, people are starving to really be connected with others, right? Uh, this is a quote from Psychology Today. It says, we're dealing with a generation, and this was written two years ago, we're dealing with a generation that no longer has the skills necessary to cope with hardship and adversity. People are chronically lonely, even though they're more connected than ever. Many times... Um, this is, and this is psychology today. Many times religious homes can be the most emotionally vacant place for a young man. This is in the context of just young men. All right? uh, we live in a world of isolation. I love that they said that we're completely lonely, but we're more connected than anyone else. I don't need to explain that, do I? That we have more connecting points, more ways of getting a hold, and it's cheap, fake, false connections, and it leaves us feeling empty. right? And it's this cheap way of... <clears throat> of saying, well, I'm, I'm reaching out, I'm a part of someone, I'm a part of something. You know, the fact that, um, like, some people just say no to a church community, and I get it, I understand, I don't agree, but they just say no, and why? Well, if you're here for preaching, you can get way better preaching online. You know that, right? I mean that. Like, you, you don't have to, like, you can YouTube, man, I could start sending you leaks. This is a way better preacher. Here's another one, here's another one. Or if it's for the quality of the worship, you know you can get way better music online. You know that, right? Right? And it's this false idea that I'm connected with the church, I'm connected with the body, and we can think we are, but we're actually not, right? How many friends do you have on Facebook? And you know the word friends. Everyone, <laughs> please laugh at that. These friends that we know and that we're doing life with. It's false. It's fake. And here's my opinion. And when I give my opinion, you're welcome to disagree with it. That's okay. Uh, my opinion is I've seen in my lifetime, and my generation is the generation that, that we have turned that corner, that digital media and all that stuff, it, it used to be if you want to talk with someone, you had to call them on the phone and, and pray that their parents didn't answer. Uh, guys, do you, remember, do you remember calling a girl in middle school or high school and, and the dad answers? Do you remember that? 
and your, your heart drops out of your, you know what I mean? Like, that was how it was when I was a kid. Now, it's, you can connect with people dozens of different ways, but never really get to them. And so my generation, I've seen it in my life, where people used to be connected, and, and now we're starting to be more isolated. And here's where, here's where my opinion is, is, and this isn't just a personal thing. Has anyone else noticed that, that um, dogs have taken over the world in the past 20 years? That now dogs, people carry them in purses, people are going everywhere with them, and that people are saying things like dog mom or dog dad. And, that, and, and this, is, this is not my opinion, is that some people place dogs at the same level of humans. Are you all seeing this? Okay. Now listen, we have a dog. Uh, she's great. So don't, don't play that. You're just, you're just not an animal person. We, we like our dog. We really do. Minnie's great. She's at home right now running around chasing squirrels. She's great. Okay. But here's, here's what I want to point out, is in my life, I've seen people get more and more isolated, and we are starving, I mean starving, for personal connection. And when we don't get it, and this is my opinion, I think we settle for the next best thing, which is a, a little critter, right? And, and, you, and you'll see people settle for this, this animal, which is a good thing, but we, we, it's this kind of like a shadow of what we should have. And can't you guys see that? That people, I mean, we are starving. And so what we'll do is we'll say, hey, this, this dog really likes me. And we're replacing uh, animals uh, with uh, people or people with animals. Are you all with me on this? And here's the scary thing is this next generation doesn't know any better. Do you all know that too? My generation is the one that we bridge the gap. I can remember and think back to having to actually hang out with friends, having to go to, you know, and this next generation, they, so anyways, keep, keep that in mind. Number one, we're starving for connection. Uh, number two, there's a huge need and desire to be discipled, to be mentored, and to be encouraged by others. Um, our world offers both part of the problem and the solution. You know, part of it is that this is kind of the fatherless generation, you know, um, and it even says, man, even that psychology today, it says religious homes can be the most emotionally vacant place. You know, is it, there's a lot of times that dads are, are present physically, but emotionally they're just not there. Spiritually, um, they're just not there. And you've got a generation of, of young men growing up that they don't know how to tie a tie. They don't know how to swing a hammer. They don't know how to change oil. You know what I mean? These real practical things. And so the world even says, here's, here's part of the problem. And then the world even offers, hey, here's the solution just be a man, right? Like that's the solution that's offered. Just be a man, you know? And what it means to be a man is uh, things like don't ask for help, figure it out on your own, suck it up, never admit failure, and never ask for directions, right? This is the solution that's offered to us. Uh, we bottle up all our emotions until they spill out in unhealthy ways, such as irritation and anger. And so, and then the third thing I want to say is that uh, God's plan and God's answer, his solution, is gospel community. Okay, That's his, that's his uh, plan and his answer. God's design is that we are supposed to be, be doing life together in community. You remember Genesis uh, chapter 2, before sin had entered the world. Don't miss this. You remember God creates everything, and after everything he creates, what does he say? He makes the earth, he says, it is good. He makes the sky, he says, it is makes water. It is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. He makes man, and he, he looks at man, and for the first time ever we hear these words, he says what? It is 
not good. And this is before sin had entered the world. So don't miss this. By God's perfect design, before sin fractured the world, by God's perfect design, he looks at an isolated person and he says, that is not good. It is not good for that person to be alone. And so God's design is that we're in each other's lives, that, that, that we're really doing life uh, together. And so let me stop here. <clears throat> Because we talk about gospel community, um, and the reality is some people, especially in this culture, we can talk about, it's a buzzword, right? Community, right? Gospel community, oh yeah, fellowship, oh yeah, walk. those are Christian buzzwords, and they kind of start to lose their meaning. Um, and the reality is some people, we can sit here and talk about community, and they have no clue what we're talking about. We have no idea. Right? Uh, are you in Hebrews 10? Flip over there real quick. Let's reference that for just a second. It's going to be to your right. So go to Hebrews chapter 10. Um, some people, when we talk about true gospel community, and, and it might be some of y'all in this room is that you've never known it. You've only known religion. You've only known programs. Um, when you think gospel community, when you think praying for one another, and I want to be careful, I'm not, I don't ever want to beat anyone down, but maybe your whole, your whole experience with others praying together is, what, what is it, travel and sick, you know, my, my grandma's hamster is sick, um, my dog is sick, and sh- you know what I mean? And, and, and maybe for you, that's what you've experienced. When we talk about community, that you've been around a, a group of Christians, but it's always still been that kind of just surface level skip across the top you know you, and you have the same conversation every single Sunday anyone right and and it's just this and and it's these it's like almost these pre, and I'm just I'm just telling my story it's almost these prefabricated bottled up conversations and these prefabricated answers you know and, and like it finally I'm just at the point, and I hope you guys are too, and it's a holy frustration. I can't, I can't do that. Like, I don't, I don't have time for this, right? Are you following me? This, like, let's just entertain one, and let's keep each other at arm's distance, and let's, let's keep each other close enough just to look impressive. This Facebook world where we take a picture and we can literally crop out everything that we don't like. We can filter it to where I look way cooler than I do. And then we post it as if it's no big deal. In a way, that's a shot of what a lot of gospel community has become. It's just, I'm going to keep you close enough to, to look impressive. And guys, and hear me say this, I don't, have, I don't have time for that. And you don't either. I don't, I cannot... Ah, I cannot blink in 60 years and have gone no further into, into true fellowship with other men in my life. I can't do it. I can't blink and realize I have wasted everything. What did you do for six years? We just talked about football and we talked about um, cars, you know? And so this is why I want to just stop for a minute on this is, some people, you have no clue, what we, when we say gospel community, like that's what you think, right? That's miserable. That's miserable. Man, like these conversations that never go deep at all, that is, that's like one of, have you ever, have you been to that party? If you want to call it a party. Oh my God, have you been to that place? 
where it's just the same, it's just the same routine versus have you guys tasted and seen true community with one another? Have y'all been there? You know, um, when I was in college, this is when my life changed, by the way. When I was in college, I moved in with, it was five or six of us at a time, you know what I mean, of other guys that lived in this house. And when you're in college, you, you're never really sure. How many guys live here? I think there's five of us, maybe six. Like, I'm not joking. Like, it was kind of a, at one time we had a homeless guy live with us for a while. I think we had a couple. And so it's like, how many live in your house? I'm not really sure right now. I know where my bed is, and that's what matters. But, but point being, there was like, man, when I moved in with these, these men, that they were the real deal. And when you move in with someone, there's no more of this, I'm going to keep you at arm's distance. Are you all with me on that? And this is when my life changed, was when I was forced into real gospel community with others. Because when I saw them, I saw, man, their lives, they're the real deal. They don't just talk a big game. They don't just have these prefabricated answers. Like, we really struggled with one another. We really struggled through some things. Uh, this is also can be seen with um, guys that when they get married and they move in with their spouse, that their life is now wrecked. Have y'all seen this as well? Because when two people move in together, there's no longer, we're going to keep this at, at arm's distance and I'm going to look impressive, you know? That like, uh, that some men, like when you get married and you, and you move in, you realize everything I own smells bad, you know? And it took someone else saying that and loving you enough, saying, Wow, your your couch smells terrible. Your recliner smells terrible, right? And this is part, this is a good image of gospel community of like let's just let's drop the act. Uh, anyways, are you in Hebrews chapter ten? Sorry, uh, where'd that go? Look at uh, verse nineteen, Hebrews chapter ten, verse nineteen. This is a call to the church. He says, "Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain." That is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, that's what we just sang about before the throne of God above. Let us, and he's going to have, uh, he's going to have four lettuces here. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And, verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That phrase, spur one another on, what that means is it means to irritate, but in the positive. It means to irritate towards good works. Okay, I don't know if you've ever had someone spur you on. That's part of gospel community, by the way. Or we could, in the Proverbs, they say, they call it like iron sharpening iron, right? Is that I hope that you have someone in your life that loves you enough that will irritate toward you towards good works. Are you all following me on this, right? That when you, as a believer, you want to sit down and give up, they won't enable you to do that. They will love you enough to say, no, get up and keep fighting. Do it. Uh, a couple of years ago, I started... Um, boxing just for the exercise, which if you, if you think you're in shape, just go box for two minutes. Um, anyways, and I found a guy, uh, his, his name's Abraham Lagan, and he's 
he's the super heavyweight golden glove champion in East Texas, and somehow I got connected with him. I said, hey, will you come start boxing me or training me? He says, yeah. And this dude, like, he's six foot eight, 260 or 270 pounds. I felt tiny, tiny, tiny. And what we would do is we'd get in my backyard, and we'd put on gloves, and we'd put on a little helmet thing, and he wouldn't have to wear them, um, the, the helmet part. And we'd sit there, and, and we'd hit, and blah, blah. And, you know, we'd go for about 90 seconds. And then, like, I can still, and this dude was just, just intense, like, come on, you and he was an, a motivator, and inspirer, and you look at him, and you're like, I want to be this guy, like, I mean, just huge, awesome, he, he used to run uh, security for Lil Wayne, like, this guy, and for some reason, I end up in my backyard boxing him, like, what is, it? you know, it's one of those moments, like, what is, ha- what is life, is this really happening, and there was one point, this is the clearest this is the clearest illustration of spurring someone on I've ever experienced in my life, and I hated it at the time. We were going, and when you have that helmet on, you can't breathe, you can't see, you get claustrophobic, you know what I mean? It's the one that you can barely see out, and then you got your gloves, and those gloves, I mean, they're 12 ounces, but they feel like 30 pounds after you've swung them for a couple minutes, and so we, we, we're doing some conditioning and stuff, and I, after about 90 seconds, I was like, I'm done, done, and so I, like, I was trying not to pass out, and I went and sat down, trying, again, not to die, which is my exercise uh, routine. It's just don't try not to die. And, and then Abraham said, get up, Russell. And I said, because we had 30 seconds left. And I said, no. And so he comes over, and I'm sitting here, and he just starts punching me. <laughs> and, I like, and I'm like, st- and what did I do? I stood up and started punching back. And point being, it's, it's, it's a simple, stupid picture but this is what it means to spur one another on, is that I was done, and I thought, I can't go on. And he comes over, and he says, you're not done. And he was irritating me towards good works, you know? He loved me enough that he looked past uh, what I thought I couldn't do. He loved me enough to push me towards growth, okay? Um, and I didn't love him back at the time. But, but isn't that how, how growth works as well? Is that in the moment, we think, I can't stand you. Why, why are you having this conversation? But we can look back later and say, that was pivotal. Pivotal, right? Uh, so verse 24, that's why he says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Verse 25, don't miss this. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. <clears throat> and so keep in mind that word, the word encourage in Scripture, um, usually it has something to do with to admonish towards or to exhort, okay? And I, I'm saying this, and I hope you know where I'm going to go with this. I hope you can already finish some of my sentences. You remember the word exhort one another when a christian speaks to another christian to exhort comes from two words the first one is x and it comes from that same idea as to exhale or to exhume a body you know what you know what i mean and so if i walk up to you and i'm trying to get you to exhale what am i trying to get you to do just breathe out what's inside of you right or if i'm going to exhume a body what does that mean it means that what you cut it open and you, you take out what is what? Inside. And 
This is what biblical encouragement is, by the way. It is not, it's not necessarily me coming and trying to put something into you. What it is, is it's me speaking the truth of what's already inside of you so that you can let it come out. Do you see the difference there? That's what it means to exhort someone, is to look at someone and to say, hey, did you know that you're completely forgiven, that you are seated on high with the Lord Jesus, that you are not your mind, that you are not your emotions, that you are not your circumstances? And that's what, when we talk about encouraging, it's to go and to just... I'm, I'm not breathing anything into you. All I'm doing is saying, hey, will you breathe out what's already inside of you? You'll see that difference there? And so he's saying here, don't give up meeting together. As, as, and he, he says this, some people are in the habit of doing that, right? He says, instead, let's encourage one another all the more as you see uh, the day approaching. Okay, so I love this section of Hebrews because he really pushes us Uh, He exhorts us, encourages us, he provokes us uh, towards uh, these things. Um, Let's go, last thing, we'll finish up in Colossians here. Go back to Colossians chapter 3. And um, I'll wrap this up. Uh, So verse 12, Therefore as God's chosen people, um, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever, whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. <clears throat> Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it. Remember, if I'm encouraging you, <clears throat> I don't have to force God's peace on you. What do I do? Is I look at you and I say, hey... Just relax, man. Let, allow God's peace in your life. That You can choose, you can choose peace. Did you know that? Or you can choose to be frazzled. Ah, uh, that was such an old person thing to say, frazzled. Ah, you can choose, to, yeah, this is bad. You can, like, and that's, and again, that's why Paul is attacking the mind. As he says, how we respond, it's our choice. Right? That's part of being free in Christ. And he says, again, this is to, let me exhort you, just let God's peace rule your hearts. Okay? Uh, Since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. And so he paints this picture of, Please, and this, is the, this will be my last thing I ask, is please, dear Christians, make sure that you're pouring out into others. Did you know, every, every person who's a believer, did you know that somebody needs desperately what you have? It's, it is not this story of, well, come to church, and that's not, mm-mm. People need what you have, the hope you have, the story you have. Gosh, people are so alone people are so lonely and even the simplest thing of being in someone's life and being a light in their life did you know that you can change someone's life just by inviting them into yours people need what you have and uh, god has given us the church the ministry of reconciliation okay and so this is our full-time ministry this reminds me of a question do we have, is anybody in this room in full-time ministry right now? Can you raise your hand? I can never remember. Is anyone in full-time? No, nope, get them up. 
Is anyone in full-time? There you go. Yeah, you are in full-time ministry. Everything we do. And so, uh, last thing I'll do. <clears throat> hey, Flip, can you find a map in your Bible in the back? Can you find a map of Israel? <clears throat> I need you to find the Sea of Galilee, and I need you to find the Dead Sea. <clears throat> This is one of the coolest pictures, I think, of, um, of what it means to be a believer, is that we are, we're, we're taking in these things and we're also breathing out these things, these truths, is that we are in community with one another, is that, you know, w- what it means to be in community isn't that we just come in and take, 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 but that we also give, right? And so if you're looking at the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, do you see that the Sea of Galilee, it's up north there, it's the, it's the sea in Galilee, that's why it's called the Sea of Galilee. I've been there a couple times, so I know that. Y'all, other y'all don't. Uh, and then at the bottom, you have the Salt Sea, or it's called the Dead Sea. Do you guys see that? Okay, so here's something interesting about that. Is the same, and, and don't miss the, the, the picture here. The same water feeds both of those bodies, okay? There's these a couple streams that go into the Sea of Galilee, and then it it goes down the Jordan River, and then it feeds into the Dead Sea, okay? Now, here's the thing about the Sea of Galilee, is it has life being poured into it, but it also pours life out. Are you following me here? And the Sea of Galilee is rich and lustrous. There's lots of fish there. The whole area is, is uh, wonderful, and there's fruit. I mean, there's, you can see the fruit of all these nutrients. The Dead Sea has the exact same nutrients flowing into it. But one of the reasons it's called the Dead Sea is because nothing flows out of it. All it does is take. Take, 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 take. That's it. And the Dead Sea, listen to this, the water is so rich in nutrients that nothing can live there. Nothing. There is no life. It is a place of desolation and death. This, for me, has always been a really great, clear picture of, of two types of Christians. One, that they're having uh, truth poured into them, and they're also breathing out truth into others. And they're like a sponge, that they get this thing poured into them through gospel community. And part of gospel community means that now I'm also pouring this out into others. And the result is life. And the result is fruit. And the result is abundance. And then here's this other Christian over here. Who, who all they do is, is they just take, 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 and there's no pouring out. And the result is, is just death. Is it, and there's this smell of, uh, do you guys know what I'm talking about? And maybe you've struggled with this. There's this smell of death that there's actually no life around them, right? That they're just, just give, just give, just give. And this is why part of gospel community means that we're, yes, we're being breathed truth, but we're also pouring it out into others because people need what you have but it takes a phone call please just start calling people um and i want us to man just if we could have that vision as as a church to put to death isolation and perfectionism uh those words if we took it seriously like paul says put these things to death um anyways let me let me pray for us and um We have one announcement. Let me pray. Father, thank you for today, and thank you for these people. And God, thank you for your church. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't fight you. I pray we wouldn't fight it. 
Lord, this call to community, this call to one another, we know that there's healing there. Um, and if we're honest, Lord, we're all kind of scared. We really are. It's scary. It's, it really is. Just being known by others, it, it's scary. I'm not going to pretend like it's not. But Lord, I pray that you would give us courage to step forward and that we would experience truth and that we would experience life and that we would be a church of the Sea of Galilee, that we would have truth being poured into us and then we would be overflowing into others' lives and that we would see incredible life and fruit and we would see healing. God, we want to see people healed. And so, uh, Lord, help us to let go of fear um, and help us to embrace courage um, and just to know, <clears throat> just to know, to know that that's our identity, that our identity is, is in you and it's not in, it's not in what people think of us. It's really not. And so we wouldn't let that control us, Father. Um, and I just pray for this group of people um, and for those that aren't here, Lord, help us to keep pressing into one another. Help us to fight that battle of isolation. Help us to fight the battle of um, defining ourselves on what, what we do. Lord, help us to fight that battle. Even help us to put it to death. Like That's, that's a violent image, but that we would put those things to death. And we'd say we're not, we're not going to be a family or a church that we isolate ourselves, but that they w we would run to one another. So, uh, Father, that's our prayer. Uh, amen.